Hello, Jack. Hello, Zach. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. I'm really excited to have our first repeat guest back on the podcast. We got Brent Jenkins, straight from Maryland. How are you doing, Brent? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing <laughs> doing well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to be. I'm honored to be your first repeat guest. Yeah, well, I think you were our first. Were you our first guest as well? First guest and first repeat guest. Wow. I guess that. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now we got to get everybody else back on. Yep. Uh, so, Brent, I've heard, you know, you've been kind of crushing the 2-5 games at Maryland Live lately. Is well, that, is that accurate? I've, I've been fortunate enough to be running fairly well for three, four months straight now. So, yeah, it's been nice. Man, the, the podcast run good is real. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Um, but, you know, despite that run good, you're still still riding down hands, still being a diligent you know, student of the game, and you have one of those hands for us today? I do. You want me to go ahead and jump in? Let's jump right in. All right. Um, this hand occurred uh, probably like at least over a month ago, but it was definitely a pretty interesting uh, spot I found myself in. Um, okay, so there are two limpers. Um, I have the King of Diamonds, Three of Diamonds, and the Small Blind. Um, by the way, I think I have like $900 stack or something like that. The Big Blind has over 600 And one of the, the one of the two limpers that ends up being relevant, he has just over $300. Um, anyway, so I have the King, Three of Diamonds, and I complete in the Small Blind. Um, I'm assuming there's nothing... Uh, Discussion worthy there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I could choose to, you know, put in a raise and steal the limps, but I don't think it's anything controversial to decide to just uh, complete. I I think I'm actually more inclined to fold here than to complete. Uh, probably really? like folding coming first, then then raising and and then completing. Um, because I mean like the, what you're hoping for is, you know, two pair plus or a premium draw, right? That's the only thing you're really hoping for with this, with this hand. Uh, and that's going to happen less than 5% of the time. And, you know, King X suited has reverse implied odds against ace X suited. Uh, and I think you'd have to be like a minimum of 500 deep with all the players and all them to be particularly bad to always stack off 100 big blinds with worse flushes for this to be a complete. Uh, so, like, as a, as a general rule, the more, like, passive and payoffy the field that I'm playing with is, the more I'm inclined to kind of, like, complete a hand like that or, you know, call in position with 6-7 suited as opposed to 3-better folding it uh, when I just think... Um, I'm able to extract max value every time when I hit my hand and have it be really obvious when I'm in like an over flush or over straight situation be able to get away from it. So given that you're in the worst position um, and I mean, maybe you could tell me a little bit more about the players, but no, no one is like especially horrendous. I think it's just uh, generally a fold. And then depending on game, you know, conditions, it could be a raise. Like if you haven't played a hand in a while or something. 
Okay. Um, the player in the big blind is he's definitely competent, um, kind of smart, um, just relatively straightforward, uh, but knows what he's doing. Um, the 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 one limper that ends up being relevant with the over three hundred dollar stack, he is really bad. But um, having only three hundred effective stack, you know that still might not justify uh, the scenario you were describing, where it would make sense to play this hand. But man, I'd never even considered like folding king three of diamonds here. Um, yeah, I pretty much always complete with this hand, so. Maybe that's something I should take a look at reevaluating, but uh, it just seems way too good to me to fold for another three dollars here. So Brent, yeah, let's say you're on the button with King Three of Diamonds, and if you if if let's say in this spot when you raise, everyone's always limp calling, then limping behind's definitely fine. Like the reason I don't like completing here is primarily because you're in the worst position, you know. So. It's just going to be really hard to realize mm-hmm. your equity in the hand when you're in this position. Um, I mean, I I do think folding is better than completing with these stack sizes, especially with like a more competent player in the big blind and the worst player being short stacked. Jack, what are you thinking? I mean, I'm pretty convinced by what you're saying. I I think my first thought would be also to complete. Uh, just because I think that there will be a lot of situations where. Uh, we can take a small pot. I mean, it's harder out of position for sure. Uh, but I think that we're less likely to fall victim to reverse implied odds just because uh, people tend to play pretty transparently. And I also think that a lot of times where we hit the type of hand where we want to continue uh, and draw to a better hand, we're going to end up being able to bluff. I do think the position makes it tricky to do some of those things. And so I think a fold is a pretty low risk and potentially highest EV play. So I definitely have no problem folding, but I also think calling is probably a small mistake and maybe slightly plus EV. I I think this is close and uh, I can't necessarily say. All right, cool. Okay. Well, um, I did decide to complete with the King three of diamonds and the small blind, the big blind checked his option. Um, So there's four of us to the flop. And so the pot's $20 minus rake. The flop is king of clubs, king of hearts, and six of diamonds. So I flop trips, no kicker, rainbow board, backdoor flush draw. Um, so my thoughts here, if I bet out, I think it's going to be really hard to get called by anything worse, really. Um, having... Uh, no kicker here. There's no flush draw to get called by. I mean, I could potentially get called by a six, but I don't think that's really a huge concern. Whereas if I check, I think um, sometimes it'll check around to the last position player who could take a stab at it. Um, I can allow someone to catch a pair on the turn, uh, you know, better than, you know, a pair of sixes that somebody might have. Um, and in a scenario where someone else has a king, I could potentially pot control and lose less money by taking a check call here, a check call line. I think a general 
good plan for this hand or what I was thinking at the time was check the flop uh, with the intention of calling a bet, obviously, and then kind of bet turn and bet river uh, with the option of, to evaluate if I get raised at any point. Um, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think I think that's all good. Um, I think on these types of boards, a lot of people with pairs, whether they're pairs of sixes, pairs of fives, fours, sevens, are really inclined to kind of bet out, uh, you know, to protect their hand. So even players that are more passive are going to bet those types of pairs. So I think this is just a very clear check call on the flop. Um, and then, yeah, I'm probably doing something like check calling the flop, you know, lead turn, lead river, probably folding to most raises. And or maybe like check calling flop, check calling turn and leading out on the river and as like a bet fold is what I'm thinking for the plan for the hand. Uh I don't I mean I don't know if I like bet folding the river there uh as as a plan. But yeah, I agree that this is just a check and see. I, I think it's gonna be really hard and probably not good to check fold the flop here. But yeah, I, just, I don't see any reason to lead. Uh, if it checks through, I think we can pretty comfortably lead, turn in river. Uh, I think we can pretty comfortably check call one street, evaluate on the second street. I'd be... This, I don't think this is a board that I'm going to be check calling three streets. And I also think similarly, check calling two streets and leading the river. Uh, I'd be curious why you would suggest that, Zach. Um, I'd suggest that basically to try to get value from all single pair hands. Um, I think that let's say you have someone with a pair of sixes or a pair of sevens, they're going to bet the flop. They're probably going to bet a lot of turns. And I think they're almost always going to check back the river. So I want to get value from those hands. You know, there's two Kings on the flop. We have a King. It's hard for them to have trips. Um, and I think, you know, we want to value target the majority of their range here, the one that we're ahead of. And I think the best way to do that is by, at least at some point in the hand, you know, becoming the aggressor. And I think a good place to do that is the river. I think depending on the turn card and depending on how the flop goes, that could be the turn. Like if it checks through, we're definitely leading the turn. But if we check call, um, I'm probably inclined to do that again on the turn. Yeah, I just, I guess I just don't think that people are betting those hands choice and then calling uh, a river bet, but... If they are, then your line makes a lot of sense. I I think there's a much greater likelihood of someone calling some size bet on the river after betting those one pair hands than them betting a third time. So, you know, we're kind of, you know, free free rolling in a sense there. Other than the fact that there are also kings, uh, you know, that are going to be betting. I I just think a lot of the hands that are going to be betting two streets are going to be kings. I, I'm not convinced that fours, fives, six, sevens, eights are going to be betting two streets. Uh, and I'm not convinced that when they do bet two streets, they're going to call a river bet. Anyways, you know, we we seem to just disagree on this point. So I say, you know, maybe get Brent's input and move on with the hand. Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, those are definitely... The- both of your lines of thought make sense there. Um, you know, I don't. Maybe this is a bad habit, but I don't. I don't necessarily like have a full plan for the hand. For, I just kind of like 
and generally like, okay, we'll wait and see what comes off on the turn in river, and you know, I'll bet, I'll bet turn. We'll see how they react. I don't know. I just don't. I don't think it's necessary to plan out the entire hand right now. I just um, because there's so many variables in you know what the turn card will be and stuff like that. Um, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that in this case, that's fine. I, I do think that sometimes it's important to have a plan. And I know you know that, but for the listeners, you know, if you if you bet and you didn't consider the fact that you might get raised and you don't have a a plan for what to do when you get raised, mm-hmm. you know, that's a that's a spot where maybe you should have thought ahead. I think if you know that you're going to check the flop, like uh, none of us are disagreeing about checking the flop, then rather than before we make our check, think about all the ways the hand could go down and plan for all of them. I think it's fine to wait until we have a real decision to, uh, you know, start making our plans for, you know, various branches on the decision tree. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. I guess I'm just like, I just realized that there's so many different branches that it could take that I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like yeah. uh, deciding on one path yet. Um, but anyway, so, Okay, so you want me to move on then? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I ended up checking, and it gets checked around. So on the turn is the uh, Ace of Diamonds. So I think that's a really good card for me. Um, mm-hmm. Not only did <laughs> I turn, not only did I turn the Nut Flush draw, but there's going to be a lot of aces in in the two limpers ranges. So I now have two different value targets, aces and flush draws. Uh, so now I think this is a good point to bet out here. Any disagreement on that? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on your, your image, but I think I'm almost always going for a check raise here. Mm-hmm. I think it's highly unlikely that an ace is not going to bet out here. And if you want to build the pot with trips and the nut flush draw, uh, and get value from worst flush draws and aces, I think the best way to build that pot is to go for a check raise. The only scenario where I could see this being untrue is if for some reason you've been playing very tight and think that like many of the aces will just fold. Um, but I know if I'm check raising in this spot, I'm almost always getting looked up by an ace for at least one street. So I think this is, to me, a standard check raise spot. Mm-hmm. That was my thought too. Uh, I think... If the short stack limper, you know, bets, then I think we can easily just get all in here uh, in pretty good shape against almost anything. And, yeah, I think we can just build a larger pot that's likely going to be in our favor. Uh, And I don't think that we have to... We don't have to fear getting, you know, raised off our hand because I think that we can probably call... So, Brent, what were stack sizes again? I have the biggest stack. Uh, the big blind has about um, just over 600, and the relevant limper has just over 300. The other limper, I don't remember, but he ends up folding on the turn, so it doesn't matter. Well, the other limper would have mattered if he'd had a huge stack, but basically the point I'm, I want to make is that uh, I don't think... We really have to get be afraid of getting in against anybody here. I think that uh, if we go for a check raise and get three bet, 
we're probably not happy, but it could be a stubborn ace. And if it's a king, uh, we have flush outs and probably some, I mean, some full house outs with a three, six, or maybe an ace. Uh, and then also potentially, you know, drawing for the chop uh, against, you know, king 10, king 9 hands. Not that I think that we're super excited when we get 3-bet. And if it's if it's a 3-bet that's not all in, I don't think that we should necessarily 4-bet all in. Uh, but I think that a check raise is pretty low risk, high reward here. Uh, so yeah, I definitely agree with the check raise. Okay. Um, I personally am not sure... I agree that aces are all going to bet the turn here. Uh, I think that they should probably bet the turn, but it seems like I see like an ace five or whatever just checking through a lot of the time here just because they're happy. They think they may have had the best hand and they still don't want to end up getting check raised and they might not like their kicker. Um, and then even and even if they did end up betting, yeah, they would probably call a check raise, but then I'm not sure they would also call the bet on the river that I would presumably make. So if in either case, I think I'm only getting essentially two bets out of an ace here, I think I can get that by betting the turn and betting the river, and then flush draws, I think a lot of them are, are going to check behind on the turn. Uh, you know, It seems like flush draws would figure, you know, one of the four players has an ace or whatever, so they probably wouldn't expect to have much fold equity here. However, I could get value from them by betting. Those are just kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I think it's definitely true that most flush draws, um, especially because you know, you have the nut flush draw and that would be the most likely candidate to bet are going to check. I, I just still think that there's enough aces in people's ranges that they are going to bet that it's a lot more profitable to kind of get max value. And if you're saying you could only get two bets out of an ace, you know, I, I think against the player that's going to call your check raise with an ace like that, you might only find a player that does that like 30% of the time, but when they do, I think they're probably calling a good uh, river bet because they're curious, you know, and they don't believe you. There's a flush board out there. You're kind of check raising from the blinds. Um, I think you have a lot of players that might just even lay down an ace to uh, to your check raise on the turn, but I think when you get called and then can get that river bet in, there's a lot more value in kind of going for that, going for the max value as opposed to, uh, you know, just kind of betting the turn, betting the river. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's closer. I think you make some good points, Brent. Uh, the th- the thing is, I think to to approach the type of value we might get from a check raise, you know, especially if it's a bet call raise type situation, uh, we would have to replicate with like sort of larger sizings because uh, right, I mean, the pot's only twenty dollars right now. Uh, so you know, if we bet twenty, get a call pot of 60 going to the river you know we're not looking to get that much value unless we start over betting and I just think that you still have a lot of kings in your range at this point 
maybe not a lot because you are completing out of the small blind, but I think most of your kings are checking the flop, uh, or at least it'll be perceived to be that way. So I think that we're going to have a hard time getting overbets called on two streets. So you're, I don't think you're giving up a ton of value by going for the check raise and potentially building a larger pot. Because I think you, you can do a pretty large check raise sizing and be super polarized uh, and get looked at by a lot of bluff catchers. Okay, that makes sense. Cool. So so what happened, Brent? Um, well, I ended up betting for the reasons I mentioned. Uh, I bet 20 uh Bet pot basically. The big blind calls, and then the first of the two limpers calls. The guy with he's a pretty terrible player, real sticky, um, and he was the one with the just over three hundred dollars. He calls, and the other limper folds. Cool. So, did you want to discuss anything about that before we move on to the river? Um, I don't think so, Jack. Uh, I mean, I'm feeling pretty confident that we have the best hand. That's. Uh, I also think that these players probably have something, probably an ace, maybe, probably just, I don't know. I can't think of much else that would want to call us other than an ace, maybe a draw. Uh, I'd be surprised if a, like a six or sevens called. So I think we're probably against two aces or a very passively played king and maybe hopefully a flush draw. Yeah, that was that was my line of thinking was I mean there there are ranges for calling here aces and flush draws mainly. That's like gotta be almost near a hundred percent of their range. Um or possibly a hand like Queen-Jack, Queen-10, Jack-10, you know, a, a gutter to Broadway. But, uh, I mean, I guess that makes sense. But Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty loose call. I mean, hopefully you're playing against players who would make that call, but yeah, uh, I, I, I wouldn't count on it. Anyhow, so uh, moving on to the river. So after Rake, the pot is $75. There's three of us. The river is the three of clubs. So the final board is king of clubs, king of hearts, six of diamonds, ace of diamonds, three of clubs. I have the king three of diamonds, so I just rivered kings full of threes here. Yeah, nice nice river. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I was happy to see that. Um, so my thinking here is... If I bet out, um, you know, I might get called by an ace still. Um, however, my main value target to win a big pot here is a king, even though I didn't think it was very likely for either player to have one. Um, However, I think that's I can win the biggest pot by getting in a check raise. A king is is almost certain will, will for sure bet the river here. Um, a missed flush draw, particularly from the guy in last position, um, could bluff if he, if there are two checks to him, and even an ace might find a value bet here, um, particularly from the last guy. 
and then you know obviously I'm check raising so um, thoughts uh, I actually like leading out here uh, because I think most of the time you're up against aces and an ace is likely to call your bet uh, I don't I don't think you know maybe would call your check raise which I think that that's sort of the main reason to check raise if you're confident that an ace is going to put in a bet and call a raise but I think aside from that I like a bet because I think that kings in this spot you know kings have been slow played uh, so I think that you're likely to get raised by a lot of kings it's not a very scary board no one's worried about you know ace king uh, or they should I mean maybe they are but they shouldn't be so I think that if someone has slow played a king to this point you know they're likely to raise your bet uh, so I like betting to you know ensure that you're getting value from aces uh, and I don't think you're going to be missing value from kings uh, I guess the main reasons to check raise are to try and induce bluffs from misdraws which I don't think is super likely to be bluffing into two players on the river by you know amateurs with a misdraw, and then also to check raise uh, for value against aces. And I just think that that's a riskier line because I think certain aces will check back, and I think a lot of aces will call a bet. Yeah, I agree with everything Jack said. I would say like the main variable that would tilt this towards a check raise is how many misdraws are in both of the other players ranges and how often they're betting those and i think the average you know one two two five player is just not betting those misdraws on the river really often enough for this to be a profitable check raise uh and i think that most players aren't betting aces uh so i would you know pick a size uh where you think you're going to get called by aces the vast majority of the time and where it's not so big that you won't get raised by a king. So, like, I think if you bet pot here, you know, kings that aren't, like, king-queen or king-jack might just call. Where if you bet closer to half pot, I think you're going to get raised by almost every king. And the likelihood of getting called by an ace, you know, shoots to near 100%. So the, the only thing that would make me check raise here is if we thought that the limper had, like, many of their Broadway combos... Uh, and would bet most of their missed draws when checked to. And I don't think we can make that assumption until we've seen a player do that uh, enough at these stakes. Um, okay, so let me say a little more about the player. Uh, this, the, the weak player, the, the limper, I have played with him several times. Uh, he's very sticky, and he's also very bluffy. So, And, you know, he's he's a bad player, so he's not necessarily thinking, is this... A profitable spot to bluff you know if he gets checked to here he's just gonna think well they checked to me you know i missed my flush draw might as well bluff at it you know uh, i really think that he would do that um and the the player in the big blind if he has an ace i'm not really too sure he would call me if i lead out here um knowing that i'm leading into two players and there's still a player behind him I think he might assume that, uh, especially if he has no kicker with an ace, that I think he might just go ahead and fold that. However, I think he might bet it for value if I check. 
Um, so I guess the worst case scenario is if the big blind was the one with the misdraw and the limper has an ace and then it just ends up getting checked through. But I think in the scenario I just mentioned where um, the big blind has an ace, the, the limper has the misdraw, I think we'll definitely see some money go into the pot in that scenario. And then, yeah, if anyone has a, a slow-played king, you know, I can definitely win a bigger pot with a check raise here. Although I like your point about if I lead here, any king is going to raise me anyway. So, and then in that in that scenario, I could win an even bigger pot, you know, with a three bet. Um, so I I don't think that that's something I had really considered too much at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just want to make two points about that. Uh, I do think that that's a an important detail about the player, you know, bluffing a lot of misdraws, you know, not necessarily thinking about his fold equity, but thinking about, uh, you know, I have a misdraw and I need to put it in or put in a bet here. I do think that it, it would, I would be, I would take that more into account, uh, if you have evidence that he does that in multi-way pots, because I think that there are definitely some villains who will do that heads up and won't do that three way. Uh, the other thing is, I don't think it sounds super consistent to me that, you know, imagine you bet 50 here, that the big blind is not going to call a bet of 50, but if check two would bet, uh, that, or with an ace, that doesn't sound right to me. Uh, but that, that, that could definitely be the case. I think definitely in light of, Brent, your player descriptions... Um, it definitely becomes a lot closer b- between a check raise and a bet to me. Um, I wasn't there, so I'd say despite what you've observed, like what you've communicated of what you've observed, I'm, I think leading is still a little bit better. But I could definitely see if I was there and felt stronger about those reads, then I, I would you know, go for the check raise. Um, but I think I personally have the tendency to think that players have higher bluffing frequencies than they do. And one of the biggest ways I think I've kind of plugged that leak in my game is just kind of repeating that little mantra of, okay, they could be bluffing, but they're probably not bluffing enough for whatever line I'm relying on for them to be bluffing to be more profitable, whether it's a hero call or like a value check raise like this. Uh, So that's kind of my general default assumption and because the reads you gave us weren't super strong it's like you play with him a bunch and he's like bluffy and sticky but not like super bluffy i would probably think that in a spot like this he's not going to be super bluffy he might be kind of bluffy but not enough to tilt it towards the check raise but i think this is definitely just like at this point kind of a close spot um and I don't think either decision is significantly better than the other at this point. Okay, well, I think you guys have convinced me that that uh, leading here is probably overall the most profitable play. But and and I I fall into this trap many times where I'm counting on inducing a bluff or getting a thin value bet. 
from a player behind me and I go for a river check raise for value and it ends up getting checked through. <laughs> I mean, that happens way more times than I care to remember. So I should definitely, you know, start doing that a lot less frequently, make sure I have a lot better reads and better reason for actually um, electing that line. So mm-hmm. you want me to go ahead? One other thing is that uh, even even if you do think that the you know bluffing frequency is higher, there's also the the matter of bluff sizing versus uh, what you would do for value sizing. Uh, and I I think that amateur players tend to bluff. I mean, it, it, it can go it can go either way in different situations. But I think in this situation, uh, with a missed draw, if this player were to bluff, it wouldn't be a huge bluff. That's just my gut. Uh, so that's that's sort of from my gut, but it's worth considering. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, if I were to induce a bluff, it might be forty dollars, but you know, my value bet could be you know fifty dollars. So you know uh, that that definitely makes sense. Um, uh, so I'll just go ahead and move on, unless you guys want to. Yeah, just sorry to belabor this street, but there'd be one last thing I'd consider um, is depending on how sticky the limper is, um, I could see just shoving being the best play here. Um, I think from the big blind, they almost rarely have kings in their range uh, and will fold most of the time to a shove. But I think maybe like the very small percentage of the time they do, you're getting so much more value than if you go for like a normal size check raise or like a you know closer to two thirds pot lead out. And depending on how sticky the limper is, I think that could be a way to get max value from an ace. Like obviously there I don't think the the limper as described is ever folding a king. Um but if they you know, let's say they have like an inelastic calling range and like twenty percent of the time they call your big bet, they call your shove with an ace, well, then I think you have a profitable just kind of overbet shove here. But, you know, it, it really depends on image and, and how, you know, how you think about like that will be perceived. But I, I definitely think considering a giant overbet in this spot is good and that most people don't consider doing these big overbets enough. Yeah, uh, I'm one of those people because I did not consider a big <laughs> um, overbet shove here. Um that's interesting. I I don't think the big blind would call me even with a, a king no kicker because I just don't think that he would ever expect me to be risking that much on a pure bluff in a spot like this. Um, now the the weak player, he definitely would call with all his kings and possibly with the with an ace, but I admit that's not a line I even considered shoving into a $75 pot. But it's uh, it's worth thinking about for next time. Yeah, it's like, when, I mean, when you do the math in these spots, it's like, so he has approximately 280 left or 275. So if you're, you know, let's forget about big blind for a second. But if uh, if you bet forty and he calls with all of his aces, 
uh, versus if you shove and he only calls 20% of the time, you're still making way more money on the shove. Um, and then let's say he's, you know, has a bad king and isn't going to raise. Well, then you're missing a ton of value. Um, so I could just, I could see that play being correct depending on what you think his uh, calling frequency is with aces. There are some players who will just always fold an ace here, and I think, yeah, the big blind will fold a bad king, um, but you're getting the like weird, weird occasional time they have king, queen, or king, jack, which I think, given what you said, is almost non-existent. You know, you're getting max value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually the first line I considered just, you know, on, on this show, I think we kind of like to think about what would happen if you just shoved with your value hand. Uh, but I, I actually don't think that it would be better than a smaller bet because I I just don't think you're getting looked up here as often as you think. Uh, and I also think that kings who have gotten to this spot are likely to do the work for you. So, But I do think you know, things will work out pretty well for you if you shove. I just think they might work out a little bit better uh, with a bet of 50. Okay. Would you like me to move on now? Yes, sir. Oh, right. right. It's not over. (laughs) So, as I mentioned, I was thinking at the time that a check raise would be best. So I did check. The big blind bet 45 into the $75 pot. And then the bad player, the limper, he min-raised to 90, which was really interesting and unexpected. So now I'm loving this because of the two players, you know, the one most likely to have slow played a king is definitely the bad player. And it would make a lot of sense for him to make this raise here. And I don't think he is ever going to fold um, when I put in a cold three bet here. Um, so, you know, he had about about 300 to start this street, so he had about just over 200 left. So I was planning on raising to 300 here to make sure I stack the bad player. Any any disagreement there? Is there any concern we should... Should we think about possibly just calling to induce a call from the big blind as well? Or betting smaller... Or raising smaller in case no, uh, the big no. blind has a king? Definitely not. I mean, here, the big blind, if they're a competent player, is going to be folding the vast majority of the time. The limper, if as described, is going to be calling almost 100%. So you just have to get max value from the limper. The only real question here is, are you raising to 300 or are you raising to 600 to put the big blind all right. in? Um, and, I mean, I'm inclined to just shove here because I think the big blind as described, is just almost folding their entire range, and I think it's going to be relatively inelastic between three and 600. So I think I'm, this is a pretty standard shove to me. Yeah, I'm having the same question as Zach in terms of 300 to 600. Uh, I'm not convinced that the range is going to be totally inelastic, but I don't think it's elastic enough to not ship. Uh, especially if you know, obviously only one of them can have a king. Hopefully one does. Uh, let's hope 
I don't know. I mean, I actually don't know who we'd be hoping has a king. Uh, who what who is more profitable to have a king in in their hand right now? If we shove, that's an interesting question, uh, and it just kind of depends on you know how these guys play. Anyway, I think we should just shove because uh, I think that the amount of times that one of these players will call with one king and not another based on the difference between 300 600 is not enough to warrant a smaller sizing. Uh, so yeah, I would just shove. Okay. Um, so I didn't, I think like in the rare, rare scenario where the, where the big blind happened to slow play like king queen or king jack. And then it was the, the bad player who was like, bluff raising here on the river if i just shove golly i don't I, I mean i don't if i were in his spot with king queen right here i don't know what i would do um i think he might have a reason to find a hero fold whereas if i just raise enough to put the the bad player all in i think he's for sure going to call but anyway I, I, that's not really I don't think that's anything I was consciously thinking of too hard at the time. I just wanted to make sure I stack the bad player. So, um, you want me to go ahead and move on with the action? I, I just want to say one thing. I mean, the real question whether we're raising a three or six hundred just depends on like, is the big blind folding king queen and king jack uh, twice as much to six hundred? And I still stand by no. Um. But yeah, it's de- it's definitely close, and I I can see how potentially raising a three hundred uh, could be correct depending on the player. Yeah, I mean, okay. Um, so I'll I'll move I, on now. Oh, I sorry, almost feel like. Well, never mind. This isn't this isn't worth. Yeah, this is. Well, my point's not worth getting into. Cool. Uh, so Brent, why don't you go ahead? Okay, so. I did end up raising to 300, and now here's where the big surprise comes in. The big blind shoved for, it was 610 total, and then the bad player folded. So now, I think we're in a really interesting and really tough spot here. Um, This was obviously... Way unexpected. Um, you know, I thought if either of them had a king, it was uh, the bad player. He clearly did not. Um, and now I have to range the big blind. Um, he's never shoving with king, queen, or king, jack here after I raise to 300. Um, he's going to call that at best. And... He obviously never has ace-king or pocket aces, having checked his option pre-flop. So I'm left with... He either, he either has king-six and flopped a bigger boat, or he could possibly have pocket-sixes, pocket-threes, or the other combo of king-three. And my question is, would he shove with those hands, or would he just call the my raise to 300? Because anything but king six seems like 
a massive overplay to shove right here. I think you're giving this guy way too much credit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would just call and be happy because I think that he's, I think for sure he's shipping sixes, king three, threes. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to run into king six. I even think you could run into ace king, depending on what this player is like, but I, I actually wouldn't even be too surprised if you ran into king queen or king jack. So I, I think you just have to call, and I actually think that you should be pretty happy about it. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll definitely see, you know, king six here. Um, but if he plays all of his combos of king six this way, he's playing all of his combos of pocket sixes this way, It, you're right, it probably is too much of an overplay to play pocket sixes this way. But I just think you're getting way too good pot odds to fold when, like, it's definitely possible that many of their value shoves you're beating. So it's kind of a weird spot. And if you said he had king six, you know, I'm not surprised. But, I, yeah, I think, like Jack said, you should be you should feel pretty great about calling here. Okay. Um, I mean, I tanked for a while. Because, I mean, I have played with this player probably, like, 20 times at least. And I just think me checking and then... Three betting to three hundred right here just looks so strong. Like, I mean, this guy's not an idiot. I don't. I, I think he would just call with pocket threes, pocket sixes. Um, and I, I just couldn't shake the feeling that like the only combo he would actually take this line with is king six. But you know, I'm getting. Uh, the pot's one thousand seventy-five. It cost me three ten to call. So, if I have a twenty-five percent chance of still being good, then you know I still have to call. Um, and then, of course, you know, if king three. I still think he would play king three this way as well. So, I you know I I had to call for a chop as well. Um, so, do you want me to go reveal the results or? Yeah, and. Yeah, I, I would just say even if you've played with him that much, like this is just a weird spot, and I don't think you can ever, like, especially like a you know a younger competent player, I don't think you can ever say like, I'm not winning this pot 25 percent of the time with that small of a sample size. 20 times live is still pretty pretty big, but this is just such a unique scenario. Uh, you know, it, it'd have to for me to fold here. It'd have to be against like maybe a much older player who's capable of checking ace-king to be tricky in the big blind um, and who I've played with, you know, 20 times or greater and just never makes big bluffs or bigger, like, somewhat thin value shoves for this to even consider being a fold. Yeah. If he, if he does this with any combo of anything that's not... Uh, king six or king three, then it's a call. Just just based on the the math, if you eliminate everything other than king six and king three, then uh, two fifths of the time you have fifty percent equity, so that's twenty percent equity. So you need uh, one combo you're beating. Uh, so so if you if you can say with certainty that he will never do this with any hand other than king. Six and king three, then yeah, you can make the fold. But uh, you know, even if he does one combo of sixes half the time, then that actually that that'll push it to a call. And I think that it's going to be more than that. 
uh, I sort of I had a different player type in my head. I was picturing an older, more passive player for some reason. Uh, so I don't think you're seeing any ace king, uh, which is good. But I also think it's it's less likely also that he would be shoving king queen and king jack here. And I also think he might have opened some king queen king jack, uh, so you can discount that. But still, uh, I would I would call. Okay. Um, yeah, this was a a younger guy, so he's definitely not the the OMC that will the old man coffee who would check ace king or anything like that. So I knew I didn't have to worry about ace king. Um, but anyway, I just I couldn't shake the feeling that there's only one specific hand <laughs> he would take this line with because I think he would just call me with pocket sixes or pocket threes. Anyway, I did end up calling, and he did show king six. So, I mean, if you guys think it's standard must call here, you know, that's why we're talking about it, but I after the fact, I kept thinking this was a spot where I could have made a a world class hero fold. Yeah, just, I just based on my read that he would only only do this with King Six. Yeah, I I think that that's just way too exploitative of a read. You know, for all the reasons me and Jack said. The the one thing I'm going to say because we we kind of talked about it. You know, the combos and how he really doesn't have to have sixes that much for it to be a profitable call. I think when this is a pot size shove. I think then the hand gets a lot more interesting. You know, when you're getting two to one here, then it's it's a lot closer. You know, and we were, we were throwing out the number 25% before, but it's actually it's 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 less than that, you know. You're you're calling um 300 to win 1000. Uh I think if you're calling like 1000 to win 1000 or something, then that's when we can maybe start uh, considering the hero fold. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, when you're getting two to one, then based on the player type, I, I do think that a folding uh, could easily be your best option. I think the other thing to consider here is that you're getting such good odds, and I think you would probably raise here if you held, you know, king queen or king jack if you i mean you might never hold it uh but i i think that and also maybe threes uh if you ever got to this spot with threes which also seems unlikely but the point is this guy knows you're getting such a good price that i think that he can put in he might feel like he can put in a value raise with sixes knowing that you're probably priced into call with almost all your kings uh which may not be true, but I think that that line that mindset is plausible enough uh, that you know if to get the one percent equity that you might need here uh, with him betting worse, you you have it. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Jack. Agreed. Yeah, this was an interesting hand. Very very interesting hand. A lot yeah. Of, I, I mean, I, I think Zach and I were more in agreement than we normally are on things that are this close. But I think you you came across a lot of very marginal spots, so, uh, and it, it also was a disappointing result, which makes, you know, this these types of close close spots you sort of maybe feel like you did something wrong, 
uh, to a much greater degree. And truthfully, it was just a shit run out. And I think you've made, you know, all good decisions, maybe not the decisions we made, would have made, but all good decisions. And I wouldn't feel bad uh, about the result. Yeah. And I think a lot of our listeners know what I'm about to say, but, you know, the hands that we think about that, you know, we lose some sleep over, we talk about with our friends that at first are often just big pots, whether we kind of won them or lost them. But a lot, a lot of these big pots kind of play themselves. Uh, and the ones that don't like this, where it's pretty marginal, you know, the, the kind of definition of a marginal spot is that there's not that much of a difference uh, in certain types of decisions. Like Jack and I prefer to lead on the river where Brent prefer to check raise. Um, but the thing is, it's, both of those lines still yield a relatively similar result in terms of EV. Like the spots to focus on are uh, not necessarily in big pots and often not in big pots. Um, so even if you like lost a big pot or won a big pot, if, if the hand played itself or it was a marginal spot, it's not something to worry about as much as kind of the more routine spots where you might potentially be regularly sacrificing loads of EV, even if you're not regularly losing or winning big pots in those spots. Yeah. I think that's actually a big part of the value of coaching to have someone, you know, looking through your hand history, uh, talking through more basic things with you to try and plug those larger leaks in your game. I mean, I think that what we do on the podcast is really interesting and the types of skills you develop ranging in these close spots to even realize that they're close are the same skills that you use uh, in sort of more slam dunk spots. Uh, But yeah, I think that's a big part of the value of coaching. Uh, Anyways. Oh yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, not not to make this a full-fledged ad for, you know, our our coaching, but definitely a lot of, like, my first few lessons with new students are like them telling me hand histories and me being like, yeah, you know, that hand kind of played itself and you just got unlucky. Uh, and I think really identifying that, uh, you know, it, it might, for for like me at this point, it might seem like when I hear big pots where someone was just unlucky, it might be like, oh, okay, like it was just an unlucky spot. Like it's pretty standard. Uh, but I, I think it's easy to forget that like, not so long ago I was in that spot too and you know especially when I wasn't playing as much poker when I was first getting started like losing lots of money when you're only playing once or twice a month it's really hard not to focus on those spots um so Brent we're not saying you're doing that by any means you know but just Mm -hmm. kind of for for the listeners like you know it, it makes sense that we focus on these spots like becoming a good poker player in many ways is about like ignoring very natural human emotions um, and kind of teaching ourselves to respond in, in ways to things that don't really make much sense outside of poker. <laughs> yeah. No, and my purpose for selecting this hand was it, it's definitely not because, Oh, this is a, this is a major leak is something that should be fixed. Cause this, type of scenario you know you'll find yourself in over and over obviously this is a really rare spot and um so i i basically picked it for the sake of interest uh more than anything else i thought it was an interesting spot to be in um but I, of course i 100 percent agree with everything you're saying the things to focus on 
most are, you know, should I value bet thinly here? Is Should I C-bet this board texture against, you know, two players? Um, you know, things like that that, you know, that will happen, you know, dozens of times every session. Yeah. Well, Brent, thanks so much for bringing on this interesting hand. Uh, like last time, this is a, an above-average length podcast episode, uh, but that's just because you bring such interesting hands in and that make for some great, you know, in-depth discussion. So sorry for the listeners. Uh, it's probably took around an hour, uh, but I hope it was worth it. And Brent, we look forward to having you on again sometime. Uh, congratulations on being the first repeat guest and you'll likely be the first uh, three three Pete guests too. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad I haven't worn out my welcome. I'd like to come back. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. Oh, no. Far from it. Yep. Hi, all. Jack here. As always, thanks for tuning in. I know we've continued to be lackluster at maintaining the blog, but check up today or tomorrow uh, for an update from last week's episode. Also, we're starting to get a lot of interest uh, in our first live event with World Series of Poker main event champion Greg Reamer. Uh, we're looking to host that event in Akron, Ohio uh, sometime in November. So check out our website for more information on that. Uh, and if you're interested please email us because spots are filling up quickly. So that's it for this week. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.